Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Well, hello, it's the podcast for a uh, Friday, the end of the week, and uh, here in Canada, a uh, Thanksgiving weekend ahead. So um, in advance, we, uh, on behalf of John, although I rarely speak for John, or always speak for John, as the case may be. The word always, the word always is very important in that sentence, Bob. We wish you all a, a happy <laughs> Thanksgiving uh, north of the 49th parallel, and you'll have to be patient for your Thanksgiving if you're in the uh, USA. Uh, with us. Uh, two um, very familiar faces and voices uh, to uh, all of you. Uh, Dan Schulman uh, of Sportsnet, who is in Bristol, Connecticut, and calling games for uh, ESPN. And J.P. Morosi of the uh, MLB Network, who is in Arlington, Texas. And um, in the bubble. In the bubble yeah. uh, now. And this is your first experience, Morosi, with uh, bubble life or not? Yes, Bob. So this uh, this past week, and great to be with all of you. Uh, so I have been, I have, I've had like my toe in the bubble for the last few days. I've been a tier three individual. Dan knows these distinctions well from the baseball world during the course of the season. So I am a, a tier three person. I covered the first round, uh, the Dodgers Padres as a tier three person, which means that I was not allowed to go anywhere lower than the second level of the stadium, not allowed to come close to any players. Um, but now that that portion of my month is done I'm now going to spend a week uh in in a hotel room uh that will then allow me to go to the tier two environment and hopefully interview people for MLB Network uh, during the World Series so uh it's going to be a week of uh 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 contemplation and and reading uh and and as as you guys know that I've that I'm at baseline such a such a quiet, reserved individual, it may be a little difficult for me to not be around people for a week, but we are, we are going to find a way to make it work. Hopefully they've removed all the pictures from the walls of the hotel room. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And Danny, you're, you're, you're doing what you've done, I guess, all year is uh, covering games off a of screen, huh? Yeah. So the games that the Blue Jay games I did for Sportsnet, we did from the studio in Toronto. And now I'm doing ESPN radio from a studio at ESPN in Bristol. So uh, it's it's different, you know, and every setup is different. And, and even what ballpark and what network is televising the game makes things a little bit different for us. Uh, and it's strange, you know, everything is two dimensional and uh, everybody's doing their best to give us as many camera angles as you can, but there are still some surprises every now and again. But I, I'm sure, like JP, uh, I'm just thrilled to be calling baseball games and, and that baseball's still going right You now. know, the interesting thing about your life on radio, Dan, is that, uh, in my mind, there are so many things that happen in a baseball game away from where the ball is. So how do you uh, how do you compensate for that when you're trying to call a game like other games like basketball and, and hockey and football if you call it off of tube 
it would be relatively simple, but right. the fact that everything, I mean, you're not, you, there are times you may not even be able to see a shift. Yeah. Well, there's an old joke in hockey, as you know, John, if you say the wrong guy has the puck, just have him pass it to the right guy and then you're fine. So <laughs> it's, right. it's, a, it's, it's a little trickier in baseball. So we have what you see on TV, we call a program monitor. We have a big program monitor in front of us. Then we have something, and I'm sure JP is familiar with all this. We have something called the all nine which is basically a camera high above home plate so we can see the whole field. So if they go into a shift or if the infield comes in or if the base runner is trying to steal, I can look over here at the all nine monitor to see that he's running. And then I look back at this monitor to see what happens on the pitch. It, when I'm normally at a ballpark, of course, I can just see both if I look out on the field. So then we have uh, cameras for both bullpens and that's, pretty much it really we had a little bit more during the regular season actually than we have now so you're right there are things sometimes that happen away from the ball i use the all nine a lot because the shift the infield in that sort of thing um is big but there will be one or two times a game where something happens and i'm late or i just didn't see it because as you said it happened off monitor or i was looking at this monitor instead of that but i think the listeners are very understanding and and I, I'm very transparent about it. Like if I miss something, I said, hey, we didn't see that. We didn't have an angle. We'll try to get you the information. You just kind of own up to it. I'm going to guess the heart, and this is a pure guess. I have not experienced any of this, but it would seem to me the hardest part, Danny, is for you will be the fly ball and trying to determine what, how hard hit it was and whether it has a chance to go or not. Well, I'll give you a few. Yeah, that, that is a hard one. So the way I call a game generally at a ballpark is I call the pitches off a monitor. And as soon as the ball is hit, I look at the field. Now there is no look at the field. So the ball is hit. And the next thing you generally see is the outfielder or the wall. Sure. And it's a little bit tricky. We had one in Buffalo this year where somebody, I can't remember who, hit one a ton down the left field line. And it was clearly gone. It's just whether it was fair or foul. And the camera just kind of lingered on the foul pole for about two seconds. And I couldn't see the ball. Gray sky, the ball blended into the sky. I had literally no idea if it was fair or foul. I thought it was foul. So I said, I think it's foul. And the camera's just on the foul pole. There's no new information. And then the next shot is the runner rounding second in his home run trot. And I'm like, oh, man. Um, so that's a tricky one. You know what's funny? A stolen base is a tricky one because the camera people – are used to framing it very tight, just yeah. the tag and the runner. They're not used to putting the umpire in the shot. When I'm at the ballpark, I can see the umpire do this or do this. Now I can't see that. So I'm basing it on the body language and the facial expression of the base runner, which is not always 100%. <laughs> um, so th those are some of the tricky ones. And it, it's, it's not like you knew what the tricky ones were going to be until you got into the situation and then you found out. But again, you know, everybody's doing their best and uh, we're, you know, hopefully by next year it's back to normal, but you do the best you can with what you've got right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk baseball. Uh, anybody surprised that uh, both National League Divisional Series were sweeps? JP? I thought the Padres, if they had had a healthy Mike Clevenger and Denelson Lamette, two of their really key starting pitchers, if, if they had found a way to get those guys healthy and on the mound, of course, Clevenger started game one, just lasted one inning, one plus, uh, then it's a more competitive series, I think. But as it was, 
with the matchup that actually existed on the field, the Dodgers had the better team. Now, the Padres easily could have won game two, as we all saw the incredible catch by Bellinger. What an amazingly athletic moment that was. And even early in game one, the Padres had a chance to break it open against Walker Bueller. But the Dodgers, and, and Dan, I'll be curious to get your thoughts on it too, just they're, they're the most balanced team in the game, the deepest team in the game. And I actually think this is the best version of the Dodgers that they've had during this eight-year run. They, they really are a complete team. Areas of the club that maybe were lacking in the past where they, they, they would rely a lot on the home run. Now they're manufacturing runs with great base running. Mookie Betts has really, I think, introduced a lot of that dynamic to the team. And the bullpen, while maligned right now with Kenley Jansen's struggles, uh, you have a Blake Trinan. You have a, a Joe Kelly, an Adam Kolarik. Um, Victor Gonzalez has really emerged and become a very nice piece there. Brewster Gratterall, they, they have a lot of relievers back there that they didn't have in years past. And this is, this is the best team in baseball right now, the best team I've seen this year, it's the best team I've seen probably in a while, and uh, they have every reason to win the World Series this year. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, I thought the Marlins would find a way to win a game off Atlanta. I've got a lot of respect for what the Marlins did this year, and I'm sure JP feels the same with the COVID outbreak. And the fact that it wasn't like they were a juggernaut to begin with. Atlanta's pitching has been sensational from uh, Freed to, to Wright to Anderson. All these young arms have been great. I mean, four shutouts in five games in the playoffs is ridiculous. And, and I agree with JP about the Dodgers. This is the best Dodger team that I've seen. Kershaw's better now than he was last year. Betts is a Dodger now. The bullpen is deeper. May and Gonsolin are two arms, I think, two names that will become household names over the next couple of weeks. The one question I have, and JP alluded to it, is, you know, game six of the World Series, their upper run, ninth inning, and the bullpen door swings open. I don't think Kenley Jansen's the guy that's coming out. I think it's Gratterall or maybe even like Walker Bueller if it's his throw day. They're, they're going to need somebody else other than him to get outs in the ninth. Not inning. Joe Kelly? It could be Joe Kelly. I, I, I would have – I don't know. Kelly is a wild card. He can <laughs> – he can throw 100 and strike you out, and, yep. and he can have a really tough time. I, I think they're more likely to go with Gratterall or Trinan or even, again, like a Bueller or a May if it's an off day for them. They've got a lot of options. I'm just not sure Kenley Jansen's one of them right now. I think when all is said and done, you could, could have probably – we all probably would have said, well, more, more than likely Braves versus Dodgers in the National League. Uh, we still don't know Yankees and Rays. The Astros are, of course, an intriguing story. They, they were mediocre to crummy during the regular season. Uh, very few people were, uh, other than those out in Houston, would have been disappointed with the Rays' performance. Yeah, there's not much, sympathy for, the not, much, not much sympathy for the Astros. Exactly. And yet here they are, and they do have experience on that team. Um, but do they match up at all? How or how do they match up ultimately with either the, the uh, Yankees or the Rays? JPP. Well, I would say that from from my perspective, the the team that wins uh, between the Rays and the Yankees should win the league. Uh, yet, yet the way that the Astros are playing right now is incredibly impressive. The, their lineup depth, uh, it seems as though this is a classic veteran team disposition where a team that struggled a bit at times or just wasn't really themselves during the course of the regular season. There's enough veterans in that group. Michael Brantley comes to mind. Uh, Altuve as well. Correa has been explosive in this, in this playoff run. 
they put that regular season aside. And, and now the, the names on the lineup that you look at, you say, okay, uh, I can see this. George Springer is doing typical George Springer things in October. This is a really interesting team. And yes, there's obviously a lot of context about years past that is still there and still has to be dealt with. But they're also led by one of the most beloved people in the game, and Dusty Baker, who has yeah. now brought a fifth team to the postseason, which fifth different franchise, which no manager has ever done before. So, uh, and, and we've seen some young arms, uh, Javier and, and Framber Valdez and, uh, and guys that we maybe knew a bit from the past last year who have really emerged this year. Uh, some guys they picked up in the last 12 months even as well. They've really pitched well out of the bullpen. So it's a really unique team and they're believing. And I really think to me, Dan, the, the way they have played this postseason reinforces why Dusty was the ideal manager. He has such a way, and you and I have talked to him over the years, he just he makes you feel good about yourself when you talk with him. And I think the Astros have needed that so much this year. Yeah, he 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 calms the waters. He really does. And and he he takes it on himself. And he's he's uh, as I don't know how long they're gonna keep him there for. I hope it's for a few years because he deserves it given what he did this year. One thing about them, as you said, Bob, they've got a lot of experience. They're clearly better than the 29 and 31 team that we saw during the regular season. Whether they're as good as they've looked the last week is another story. Um, but keep this in mind. Uh, the Yankees, let's say the Yankees win tonight. Garrett Cole's pitching on short rest tonight. Remember, there are no off days in the next round. No, if so Garrett Cole was uh, – I'm sorry? He's not going to – Cole's not going to Right, he's not going to be ready. He two. couldn't pitch on regular rest until game four yep. of the next round. Or he could go on short rest in game three, but are they going to pitch him on short rest twice in a row just to have a chance to pitch him on short rest again in game seven? Usually there's a travel day after game two, travel day after game five. That's gone. Tampa Bay is going to start Tyler Glass now tonight on two days rest, probably use Blake Snell. Like if the Yankees advance, Jay Happ could start game one. If the Rays advance, I don't know what they would do in game one. So Houston will have a little bit of an advantage out of the gate, I think, against either team in the next round. So I, I, on Dusty Baker, you know, we've seen managers in this in, in 2020 and in the last four or five years be so driven by analytics, so driven by numbers, so driven by that. Does, does that mean Dusty Baker's changed? Uh, has he has he uh, been more open-minded about that kind of thing, Dan? I have not done, I have not been around the Astros. So, you know, living in the Blue Jay world, I've been in the East all the time, and I've been on the Yankees right. and Rays. So I have not had a chance to even do an Astros game. So I, I, I would maybe defer to JP a little bit on this. I would say you don't get a managing job these days unless you are open to analytics. You just You don't even get in the room for the interview. Now, they're not expecting – uh, Dusty to come in and to be Rocco Baldelli or Kevin Cash or somebody like that. But I think Houston is known as uh, as being as much of an analytically driven franchise as there is in baseball. So I would say there's probably some middle ground. And short term, I think Houston just needed somebody, again, to calm the waters. And Dusty was the obvious choice. So I, I would I would guess, JP, they've probably met in the middle on that a little I agree. And James Click, the Astros GM, of course, he came in and got the job after the, the changes made with Jeff Luno during the course of the offseason. James has spoken glowingly about his experiences with Dusty and just his conversations with Dusty about life and baseball. And Dusty was a Marine. Dusty had a long playing career. He's, he's lived an incredible baseball life, an incredible American life in, in basically any respect. And so I think that there is such great respect that, that James has for Dusty. And that's the foundation right there. 
And I also think that, and, and you know this, how, how managers look at games now, it's, it's more about knowing how to implement or let the data guide you. And, and teams now have so many resources where they may say, hey, because of the way this reliever approaches this hitter's approach and the, the way his stuff matches up with the hitter's swing path or, or their platoon splits or just how they handle velocity, there's a lot of different questions there that, that they may just say, hey, Dusty, this is a good matchup. You know, it, just keep this in mind. Eighth inning, you may want to use James against, mm-hmm. uh, against Matt Olson, and, and you, you may not intuitively have that as a, as a natural right-left situation, but that may be the right thing. And, and that and feeds back in what we talked about earlier about, about Kenley Jansen. The, the, the era of, and Dan knows this from doing all these games this year and in the past, the years, the years of I've got a closer, I've got an eighth-inning guy, quote-unquote seventh-inning guy, that's just not how teams think anymore. It's all about areas of the lineup and leverage and velocity. You might have, you might see a bullpen gate swing open. Here comes a lefty to face a righty. You're thinking to yourself, why is this happening? Well, a lot of it might have to do with either a changeup or velocity, and, and they want to have uh, maybe the hitter does or does not handle velocity very well, and that guides the decision. The old, hey, bring in the lefty, bring in the righty. That, that thinking is basically gone. Mm-hmm. And it's all about areas of the lineup that you like and velocity that pairs up well with it. And, and these teams, and Dan knows this from sitting in a lot of manager meetings, they script out the late innings. Now, it, they may deviate because sometimes somebody gets walked or whatever it happens, but they have an idea of exactly who's going to face whom hours before the game starts. And, and it's a really fascinating thing to watch unfold. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. I'm, here's what I'm intrigued with, guys. Um, outside of the city of Houston and maybe um, the state of Texas, the most hated team in probably all the sports is the Astros, and we all know why, because they cheated. And whatever you think of the merits of what they did and how far outside the bounds of reality that was. And how much they were punished. Well, they are they're not liked at this point in time and probably not respected. And there is probably a constituency out there that will say to you, well, they wouldn't have won the world series if they didn't cheat. What if this team wins a world series now? How does the perspective of that change, at least in your mind, Danny, to you first. Uh, I think if they win the world series now, you've got to give them credit for winning the world series. Now you don't have to um, admire them for winning the world series in 2017. You can still think they wouldn't have won it if they hadn't cheated, which I think is a very, you know, fair assessment, but if they win it this year, they won it this year, you know, and to paraphrase Carlos Correa, and I know he's not winning any fans when he said it, but what are they going to say now? I mean, clearly they're not cheating now. And if they, if they win it now, nobody's going to like them anymore. And most people, I think a lot of people are still going to dismiss it and, and not want to give them any credit for winning. But objectively, if they win it, 
they deserve it, right? And and if they beat – they've already beaten two really good teams in Minnesota and Oakland. They're going to play a really good team next, whether it's Tampa Bay or New York. And then if they play the Dodgers, they're going to play the best team in baseball. Like, you don't have to like them, but uh, I don't see how you can't give them credit for winning it if they go all the way this year. JP, I you know, I'm, I'm not here to tell you that what they did had no effect on the outcome of games during that season. Um, I just don't know how we quantify uh, the significance of that effect. And um, they're clearly a good baseball team, with or without the cheating. W- what are your thoughts on all this? Well, Bob, it's a great question, and it's a, I think it's something that we're going to be wrestling with from a historical standpoint in the game for a long time. We obviously – uh, you look around the game, and, and what are the odds that the the only team that was that was doing something like this or, or, or cheating in a in a way of, of this manner uh, was the only team that, that that had ventured into these very murky waters of of what was ethically okay and what was not? Um, perhaps others were were in the midst of trying similar endeavors. We don't. We'll never know for sure everything that happened, but I, I think it's it's a complicated legacy. There obviously was some suggestion that by 2019 uh, that the practice had had stopped and they made it to within a swing of winning the World Series last year, mm-hmm. basically. So th- there's it's a very complicated legacy. We'll, we'll probably see, by the way, as a quick parenthetical, um, A.J. Hinch might be up for some managerial jobs, as might Alex Cora in the weeks ahead, that their suspensions end after the World Series. How are they viewed in the context of what happens with their former team? And I think that with the Astros playing the playing the the villain card, so to speak, and Carlos Correa really owning that and 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 sort of uh, being very comfortable in that in that villain role, if you will, with how he's made comments publicly, that's basically the one card they have left to play. They're not going to win in public opinion. They really did not apologize well in the spring. I would have liked to have seen more contrition and more unning of the the gravity of what had happened but that's the one card they've got right now and and we've we've heard in sports many times the us against the world mentality for different reasons this is how they've decided to conduct themselves this is who they want to be uh and it's really maybe their only option right now in terms of how they're portraying themselves publicly so it is it's a fascinating thing to discuss their legacy it may take still a couple years maybe even longer than that for us to really put it all in perspective but the reality is this is a team that was that was good and still is good because a lot of the players, um, even if they were getting help, and they were, um, are still pretty talented baseball players. Inter- and, and we're seeing that play out right now. The interesting part of this is there's the one factor that would keep it top of mind through the rest of the playoffs, even if they get to the World Series, are the fans. Yeah. And they're not there to remind them on a daily basis. This goes to, to me. This goes back to the the old steroid era, where every every stadium that Barry Bonds went into, he saw a giant syringe. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I mean, remember the Dodger fans uh, late in the season, you know, outside Dodger Stadium, you know, harassing the bus. Uh, to me, this is this is the one factor that disappears. It's it's actually a blessing for the Astros in so many ways that it won't be top of mind because the fans of the visiting team or the opposition aren't there to remind them every time they go to bat. Yeah. It's a yeah, huge blessing. Pardon me? You wanted to jump into something, Jake. Yeah, no, I was actually going to talk about the fans. I was going to say that 
Um, if, if this had been a normal year and the fans had been in every ballpark the Astros had played in this year, I'm, uh, I think it would have weighed them down by the end of the season. I'm not sure that they would be playing as well now because I think the cumulative effect uh, of the signs and, the, and the everything sure. else would have really gotten to them. But, um, you, you know, and, and, and John mentioned Barry Bonds. Like, you know, it's complicated to look at Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and other guys like this because of the suspicion of using steroids. Does that make us think they weren't great players before they started using steroids? No. We know they were great before, and then they cheated. We know the Astros were a really good team before, and then they cheated. And they're still a really good team now, like Springer and Altuve and, and all these guys were really good players before they cheated. That is not to condone it at all. What they did was a 10 out of 10 on the, on the, on the wrong scale. But they're really good players. And they were really good before. And they've got a core of five or six guys who are obviously mentally tough, tremendously talented, very experienced. If they get decent pitching, they'll be a handful for either the Yankees or the Rays. Uh, Dan Schulman, J.P. Morosi, joining us on the podcast uh, today. Look, this has been an unusual year. We all know that. Um, but of all the things that have been initiated this year in terms of change, and we know that almost all of them are subject to review at the end of the year, the only one I think the four of us can sit here and be sure of is we're not going to see another 60-game season. Um, they're not contemplating reducing the schedule from 162 to 60. But everything else is sort of still on the table. Of what you have seen, what do you like and what don't you like? From the extra inning guy on second base to um, 28-man rosters. I mean, there's a bunch, like to the playoff format. Danny, what do you like? What don't you like? Well, that's a great question. It's a big question. There's so much to talk about. Uh, the three batter rule was coming in anyways. Um, I'm fine with it. I, I don't have an issue with that rule at all. Seven inning double headers, which we will barely see during a normal season. We saw a lot more double headers because of the extenuating circumstances. Sure. Every player and coach and person on any team I've talked to loves it. <laughs> um, I think it's staying. I think seven inning double headers are staying. Runner on second base, extra innings. I thought I would hate it. I don't hate it, but I don't think I love it yet. I'd like to see, I don't know about you, JP, I'd like to see them play, say, the 10th and the 11th normally. If it's not settled then, then in the 12th, maybe put a runner at second. Give them a chance to figure it out uh, normally. Playoff format, to me, is the big one, is the elephant in the room. I think 16 is too many. Um, I don't think the number one, two seeds are getting enough of an advantage for being great during the regular season. You still have to go play a two out of three. Anybody can beat anybody in a two out of three. I think I'd like to see maybe six teams in each league, 12 get in, and the format be such that there's a clear advantage for the one and the two or the one, two, and three. You know, you, we can be creative in many ways. So uh, the playoff format to me is is the huge one. And uh, I think there's got to be a lot of discussion. DH, I think, is probably here to stay. I don't, I don't think we're going to go back and see pitchers hit again. But, but to me, the most important one by far is the playoff format. Morosi? I think, Dan, that we, we will see expanded playoffs, uh, whether it's in fully in place in time for 2021 or the future. Uh, it does seem the commissioner's office wants to go there, and the players, obviously, for, for reasons of finance and also opportunity to play in the playoffs, they like it too. I think that the, the, the compromise, if you want to really truly protect the top seed and incentivize teams to compete for that number one seed, 
then the seven-team format does make some sense, where you right. go the one seed gets the bye to the division series, and then two play seven, three six, and, and four five in a modified qualifying round or wild card series, whatever you want to call it, um, to get in. But you you allow that top seed to to have that that bye into the division series. I think that that format I think makes a lot of sense. I, I frankly love the, the the extra inning rule right now, and, and I and, and to your point, Dan, maybe you do let them play at least one inning um, or two with with the traditional rules. But the reason why I love it is, first of all, the games are long enough as they are. We all know that we've talked about it a lot. It's just the, the pace of games sure. and, and the time of games now. But I think more importantly, and, and we've seen this a lot, Dan, in recent years, where you'll see a reliever come in and he'll pitch the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. And, and his team might even win. And what happens a few, a few minutes after the game, that pitcher is, is optioned down to AAA yep. because they need to have a fresh arm for the next day. And it's just, it's not fair. There are, there are a lot of quality arms who get optioned out or a position player who get, gets optioned out because they need one more arm for the next day. There are players who lose their jobs in the major leagues because of a roster a uh, random randomness moment there with respect to the, to the extra innings that, that basically because of the way the rules work and how long the game went, lose their jobs in the major leagues. And I just, I think it's not fair. That's the, that's uh, I'm a big believer in let's, let's try to keep the best 25 or 26 or 28 players, whatever the roster limit is going to be in the future. I'm a big fan of keeping those guys in the major leagues that they, right. they've earned that right. They deserve it. And I think that, that that's one consequence of this this unique extra inning rule. Okay, quick response to to these two questions. You mentioned the roster size. Do you like the 28-man roster? Do you think there's a chance – is there a chance we see an increase in the roster size? Danny? I think you have to have it next year because pitchers only threw 60 innings this year, and to expect yeah. them to throw 200 next year, you're going to get guys hurt. So I think we at least have to have it for next year and then have to be open to it beyond that and if, if your Ross if the game is flowing okay it's fine to have a bigger roster you're just trying to keep the games moving if bigger rosters keep pitchers healthy uh, and make games competitive and guys don't lose their jobs like JP was saying then it's fine particularly particularly but particularly if there's you know if AAA baseball's in doubt next year you're going to need access to more players anyway I mean what happens to minor pro baseball is going to have an effect on the I think on the roster size too don't you JP Yes, I agree, John, and that's a great point. And we're still now in the process of learning what minor league baseball will look like next year and into the future. It is a tremendous amount of uncertainty. You even think about the months ahead. Uh, really, we, we often see prospects uh, playing winter ball, even including some American-born players that will go to Mexico, go to the Dominican Republic and play. And some will, but just as you guys know, we've been talking about, uh, entering, exiting the States is, is challenging right now. And so just to find games and to find playing experience for these players um, who are looking for opportunities, who missed a minor league season, they would like to play, but there, in many cases, there is not a great place to play right now. So to your point, John, there's a real delicate developmental moment right now for how teams are trying to replicate the, the experience of the minor league season in a very short amount of time. And I was talking to one uh, international scouting person uh, in the last couple of days. And I said, well, what's, what's the winter going to be like for you? So we're, we're basically now getting going again. We're going to go back and see players and see where we can go, where it's safe to travel to. This is just, 
they're almost restarting their their scouting lives to see what it's all going to look like. So there's tremendous amounts of uncertainty, John, as you point out. And and as we speak today, I I, I don't know what the minor leagues will look like. Although I I, I do feel quite confident it's going to look different than it looked in 2019. It's going to be a different yeah. uh, format. We'll, we may see some teams go away. And Dan, I know it's it's been a I think it's been top of mind for everybody talking about the game right now. Uh, I, the other point I wanted to get your, your take on, guys, is um, Danny mentioned this earlier. Um, any team can win a, a best of three. And so the two of three is, at least from baseball traditionalist standpoint, not viewed as a, a fair um, um, evaluation of... Uh, I don't even like a best of five, Bob. Well, I was going to just say... Best of um, five is too short. Well, Come on. But is that historic? I mean, I, I, do you wanna, what do you want to do? You want, uh, is four of seven too short? You should go five of nine. Now, do you want to... Oh. I mean, how far do you want to go down this rabbit hole before you, you realize, well, you can't play another 162 to decide? Is no, but at, le but, at least, but at least in a best of seven, you give both teams a chance to play quote unquote two home games but that's an historic reference that we're all uh, subject to. Yeah, i don't yeah, you know what's here, what's the paramount here can yeah three out of five the, significantly better than two out of three yes but here's the issue if if you're using a format like jp talked about with seven teams and the one team is getting the buy a three out of five means they sit around doing nothing for a week it's yeah. it's too much it doesn't it, it doesn't work so I don't think there's any way to avoid having max two out of three in the first round, unless there are no buys. If there are no buys and you want to make the first round three out of five, okay, but now you're into November. Like you're easily into November. And again, do you have enough arms to get through the season? Do you have enough arms to get through 162 and then a three out of five, four out of seven, four out of seven, four out of seven, or something like that. All the more reason, all the more reason to go to. I lo I love the seven inning doubleheader. All the more reason to schedule seven inning, put them right in the schedule. Yep. And and then go to one fifty four. I think I think that's the obvious thing. I don't. Ha you know what? The record book has been for a variety of reasons. The record book is not as sacred as it used to be, and it it's it for so many years it was so sacred to me. And I think JP, you would probably agree. The record book meant everything, but you know the horse is out of the barn on that. If they went to one fifty four, one forty four, I don't know if owners are going to do it. There's regular season revenue at stake. I'd love to see every team have to play a seven-inning doubleheader, say, every second Sunday. Yes, so each, yes. So each fan base gets one doubleheader, and not day-night. I'm talking about one ticket, kids under 12, two bucks, like the old days, right? And, and, Love it. And then you get a Monday off, and the Monday is a dark day. Fine. Um, let's think of the fans a little bit. I mean, I know I'm, ta you know, I'm talking pie-in-the-sky stuff, but, but back to the original question. It's complicated to have too long of a first-round series if teams are getting buys and sitting out, um, you know, if you want to give the whole, you could do crazy stuff, right? You could, if the one has to play the eight, you could make it, you, the one only has to win one game, but the eight has to win two games or something. Give, oh, give now we're getting team. into that. Now we're getting into major league soccer. Exactly. Now we're getting into major league soccer. I couldn't figure that out in major league soccer. I don't <laughs> want to worry about it in baseball. JP's the soccer expert. We're a bunch of guys who have been in the same box for all our lives and for a long period of time, and it's very difficult to get out of that box. But we have been forced now to start thinking about things mm -hmm. that we would not have even contemplated 12 months ago. JP. 
Well, I, I think that, to your point, Bob, that, that all things have to be on the table. And, and Dan's point about the fans is crucial. Uh, we have to envision in, in a sport that is used to having large crowds. You, you think about how many seats you have. And I'm here in Arlington looking at actually out my window. I can see the old ballpark here in Arlington and, and the new ones right next door. Um, you, you think about how many seats are in a major league stadium. And that's 81 home games a year times a, a 40 or 50,000 seat stadium, which is so twice the number of, of home games and twice as large as a basketball or a hockey arena. And we're, we're trying to just see what life is going to look like in terms of the, the risk tolerance of people in the next year, two years, three years to, to go in large gatherings. There's going to have to be, together with the science of all this, as we hopefully get the better days ahead, just what fans want to do and what they're going to expect to have at the ballpark. You know, we're, we're, it was interesting. I was just talking to some people here in Arlington about um, how they're going to arrange the ballpark uh, for crowds of 11,500. So basically a quarter of, of the attendance uh, in the NLCS and the world series, they've basically already put, you know, those like plastic ties that you see on, on the outside of a package to kind of seal it up. Those are actually being put over seats that are being blocked off that are not going to be used because they're only seating people in groups of four called pods, and they're spacing out the pods all around the ballpark um, for safety reasons and physical distancing. So it's, it's a different mentality, obviously. And to Dan's point, I think it's a great call that, that baseball is going to have to do a lot of work this winter, I think, and, and really – talk with fans and listen to what what do they want what what do they want their next experience to be I, I think a lot of fans will be so eager to get back to the ballpark that they'll really be excited and, and get right back there but there may be some others whether it's younger families or older fans who have reservations and I think it's going to be really important for the game to talk meaningfully about what their customers want right now uh we don't I don't want to take you guys uh, much longer um as we look at the final, well, now it's five, but ultimately four, I don't think there's any doubt. I don't think any of us would bet against the Dodgers. They clearly seem to be the best team here, but what we also know is best team doesn't always win. Who's got the best of these other four? Who's got the best chance of knocking them off, and, and why? Or can you even make that analysis? Shulman. Uh, in my opinion, I, I might go out uh, off the board here a little bit. If the Rays can get by the Yankees, I think it's the Rays because I think the Rays have the depth of arms that they can withstand longer series easier. Um, I'm not sure the Yankees have it, although their offense allows you to bludgeon people, but I have a ton of respect for Tampa Bay, like a ton of respect for everything that they do. Uh, the names may not, you know, pop off the page, but I think if the Rays can get by the Yankees, I think they, they've got the arms to at least give them a run for their money. But the Dodgers are so good. I, I, I still think their overwhelming favorites might be a little bit strong, but not by that much. JP? I agree. And, and Dan, it's, it's so interesting. When you watch the Rays and the Dodgers play in, in different settings, of course, we know about the, the connection. Andrew Friedman builds the Rays and now is, is the – president of the Dodgers, it's almost like the, the Dodgers are the Rays with a better budget. And, yeah. and it's, it's the, they almost have just the, the foundation is very similar. The strategy is very similar. Um, the, the way that the players are deployed is very similar. 
but the Dodgers just have the deluxe version of everything that the Rays do. They, they, the Rays don't have Mookie Betts. They don't have Clayton Kershaw. Uh, they, they may have people that approximate a Walker Bueller, but it's that star level, the ability to sign the, the, the elite players, a, a, a really a higher-end free agent like an A.J. Pollock, for example, in recent years, who is now playing well. Corey Seager is, uh, is really rejuvenated himself here as well in the last couple of years, and especially the last couple months. Um, great at-bats from him in, the, in this postseason. They just, the, the, the Rays don't have the same level of talent the Dodgers do. But to your point, Dan, they can they can swim in those waters. They can play that matchup game and and go for a longer series just because of how they're built. I think it was what ten or eleven different players on the Rays team recorded a save this season in a sixty-game season. That's just incredible. That that is a remarkable achievement of their depth. So I, I think the Rays can compete. Uh, it would be a classic matchup of of the team with all the resources and one that has made the the most with the least, so to speak. It's just, it'd be a really interesting contrast. Uh, in addition to all the Andrew Friedman-related storylines. But I, I, I think the Dodgers right now, I agree, Dan. The Rays pose the greatest threat, but the, the greatest threat to the Dodgers is if the Dodgers don't play well. Right. They, they, they are, they're the only team that can beat themselves is the Dodgers right now. Tell you what, all you people are going to expect phone calls from Alex Anthopoulos. <laughs> we haven't mentioned the Braves for 35 minutes. <laughs> Well, Danny did talk about them, and I think oh, but not very much. Well, I think we all have respect for what they've accomplished and what uh, Alex has, has has done down there, and um, we will see. Uh, they have uh, they have a tough opponent in the uh, in the next round. Uh, we live in an era, guys. Uh, I don't have to tell you this: where almost nothing is normal. Um, it has uh, been a delight to sit here in October and actually talk about postseason baseball. And uh, with uh, two of my favorite people, uh, Dan three, Schulman. Three, and, three, three. I said two. <laughs> and uh, guys, um, thanks a lot. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to do it again, either at the World Series time or, or maybe after the year's over. Thank you, boys. It's great to see you guys. Be well. Really enjoyed the conversation, guys. Thanks for everything. I'll always enjoy catching up. Yeah. And John, longest conversation, too. longest conversation without Wolverines and Buckeyes I've ever had between Colin <laughs> and Morosi, and we're not starting now. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll save that for November. We'll save hey, it for Morosi, November. You see what's over my shoulder there? Can you? Can you can I you see, see it. I see sign? it. That, that I can hear the fight song in my head right now. <laughs> uh, a, a later start to the Big Ten football season, and therefore a later start to our back and forth. Oh, I'm sorry, I brought it up. Buckeyes. We sorry, do that. sorry, I'm done. I'm yeah, done. I brought I'm it done. up. All right, boys. Have a great day. Thanks so much again. Appreciate uh, it, guys. Thank Thank you all for listening or watching, whatever you're doing, and uh, have a great uh, Canadian. Thanksgiving weekend. We'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye-bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.